Welcome aboard the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Our co-host is Ward Carroll, class of 82, and joining a special guest from the Capital Gazette newspaper, Bill Wagner. Um, this is our Patriot League tournament preview show. What else are we going to preview? Um, nothing, because every other sport is on a 10-day pause, at least a 10-day pause, um, as the team talked about in the last podcast. So that's still the case. Luckily, because uh, the Navy basketball team was sequestered up at the Navy Lodge on the uh, on the NSA side of Annapolis, they did not have to pause and miss the Patriot League tournament. Thus, that is our focus this week. We're going to be joined by Chris Harris and Mike Heary of Navy Basketball Lore. But first things first, as we approach this tournament, I'll kick it over to Ward Carroll Ward, considering COVID, considering the financial travails this year uh, affecting all NCAA programs, and knowing that an NCAA tournament trip yields cash, how important is this weekend's tournament and, and then the presumably and hopefully the championship game on Selection Sunday? How important is this to the athletic department, not just emotionally to have a win and have a return to the tournament? which we haven't done in over 20 years, um, and also financially. You always paint me as the filthy lucre guy. Um, so I, 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 I just like how you combat it. You no, you, I'm agnostic you, you receive about that. It, I, that doesn't even bridge. enter my, my, that's not even in my wheelhouse, <laughs> that, that piece. Um, I guess we'd have to ask Chet those things. And he's always very candid with us about that. Certainly revenue is good. I'm, I'm Faber. I'm Amo Faber. Revenue is good. Um, money what, what money ex- good. Lack of yeah, money what bad. What I'm excited yeah. about is the success of this team in the face of these challenges. You know, zero people in the stands uh, except that one uh, Army game where we had like 250. And it's funny to look at Strauss's stat sheet and, and then it's like, you know, blank, 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 250, 100, blank, 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 blank for attendance at these games. Um, and I am. Very privileged on behalf of Sync Second to sit at Wags's elbow at these home games and be able to cover it with our quick hits and our other real-time live tweeting and different things like that. So I, I am just very proud of the pluck that this team has shown this season. And we're very excited about their future success. Now, I imagine that Chris and Mike will have some granular analysis about whether it's a asset or a liability to play the same team four and five times. Um, I have my concerns about whether Loyola has our number or whether we have their number. We will find out. But certainly you can only frame this in terms of a success against the pandemic to include having the foresight to sequester the team at the Navy Lodge so that they can continue the season when everybody else can't. So I'm very excited about Saturday and look forward to a great contest. So quick follow-up from me, um, knowing that, uh, you know, the numbers that you threw out for attendance, it, it is possible that uh, Navy basketball will, um, will have more attendance this year than the Baltimore Orioles had two years ago at Camden Yards pre, uh, pre-COVID. 
But from the emotional standpoint, and, and this doesn't have to do with basketball directly, but from your perspective is your office is on the yard, you have interactions with mids, you and I are avid followers of a lot of mids on Twitter, and we're looking forward to having some mids on our show next week to talk about it. How interesting is it that this tournament is now happening? We're hosting probably one of the more significant Patriot League basketball tournament games in recent memory. Um, while mids are being moved out into hotels, while there's this, you know, there's this feeling of the virus taking hold of the yard again, and there's this general negativity, yet it, it is contrasted with like the, the advent of spring. And, and here we are, we're, we're into new beginnings and everything's going to be good, but you've got this like this cloud of negativity. It, it, is that dichotomy, it, that's not lost on you, right? Like how... How does this affect the overall environment? The fact that we have mids living in hotels, but you know, hey, we're we're trying to make sure that we win a Patriot League basketball tournament game. Yeah, I think what you've just tapped into is the unique and and um, what's the word tragic part of COVID. Um, you know, as we've said before, the the their lives are passing them by, and for me, what the shame is is the the brigade because they're so focused myopically on their own academic experience, their own, am I going to live in my room where I, now I test positive? So I got to move to an ISO ward. Am I going to live on the yard? Am I living off the, the yard? You talk to anybody who sponsors mids or who's in close comms with mids. And I, I, as you've said, I, I meet uh, with mids. I was just on the yard, uh, you know, last week on Monday in Nimitz. And as I've described, it felt like a normal dark ages day. People, you know, wander between classes and, you know, it was gray and it really, really filled me with nostalgia and also hope for a brighter day. Um, and, and so now we're back to squares one, square zero on, on this. So what I will say is to me, the shame of the basketball team's success is there's little to no brigade buy-in to that. It's almost like this own pocket of something, you know, and so that ecosystem uh, is is thriving and succeeding and has great potential. And we'll talk to coach Chellis about his point of view with respect to that. Um, but COVID has robbed the brigade of, of being directly involved in that. So certainly it does raise the morale to hear of the success, you know, anecdotally almost. Um, but I think we've been robbed of, of what would be the rising tide that floats the entire brigade. Uh, because of, of COVID and this most recent spike that they're dealing with, it's canceled the rest of NAAA activities. So that's my two cents. And again, this is why we got to drive to vaccines and just push past this um, and get back to quote unquote normal sooner rather than later. So Wags, before we bring uh, Coach DeCellis on, you know, what, what's, what's your perspective on this and what are you looking forward to from your analysis uh, standpoint uh, for the tournament coming up this coming weekend. Well, I'm just going to say something real quick to piggyback on what Ward was saying, because he said it's robbing the brigade of their experience. What's well, also robbing Navy men's basketball of their experience. They've had one of the greatest seasons in recent history of Navy basketball. And for the most part, the, they have not been able to share it with the brigade of midshipmen. Uh, the, the success this team's had, they, the crowds would have grown and townspeople as well. Let's, let's include, our Navy fans out there, this team has generated a lot of excitement and the crowds at Alumni Hall would have grown steadily as the season went along. And let's picture Navy has home court advantage throughout the Patriot League tournament. 
let's picture a Patriot League championship game being played at Alumni Hall and normally filled to the rafters, incredible atmosphere, ESPN television. We're here at Alumni Hall where it's raucous arena and none of it's going to happen. And it's just the whole thing's a damn shame. But let, let's get to Coach John. I'll let you bring Coach in. Awesome. Thanks. Um, who better to talk about uh, what to expect this coming weekend, the uniqueness of playing a team for the fifth time, the possibility of seeing a team for the first time all season in the championship game, if Navy and Colgate make it there. But uh, a lot of alligators closer to the boat before we, uh, before we get to Selection Sunday and a possible championship game. Joining us on the Sing Second Sports Podcast, Coach Ed DeCellis. Coach, thank you so much for making time again, for being a return uh, guest. Knowing that, knowing that this weekend, that Saturday is, is numero five, numero cinco against Loyola, how interesting is that to you? Because you're, you're a student of the game as well as an, a, a legendary coach in the game. Can you remember a time that, I mean, they, it's, it's rare for teams to play each other three times in the regular season, the two regular season, uh, two regular season matchups and a tournament matchup. You're now going against these dudes for the fifth time. How does that affect your preparation? And where are you in general as we approach this weekend's tournament or first game of the tournament for you guys? Okay, all good questions, John. Before I talk about that, I will say to you, since you got your Novich T-shirt on, Butler and Hinkle Fieldhouse. How about that? Butler and Hinkle Fieldhouse. Uh, it was a tough know, loss, and then we lost Gillespie last night. But, yes. you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna make it through. They're going to make stuff, it through. Stuff happens. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really give uh, much thought to how many times we play a team and especially in a tournament atmosphere. So what I've focused on and what I've, you know, we had our first real practice yesterday because Monday we were off and Tuesday was a, was a real light day. We lifted and shot and, uh, and walked through some stuff. But as I told the guys yesterday, no matter who you play, I don't care who you play on Saturday, we're going to play to what we do as a Navy basketball program. We got to defend. We got to rebound. We got to take care of the ball better. I don't care. We play Loyola, Lehigh, Lafayette, whatever the L schools you want to throw in there. The only team that can beat us is us. And so that was my theme to the team. Don't think about how many times we know them. They know us. Okay. It's about execution. I've talked to Bill Wagner about it. It's about fundamentals, passing and catching the ball with two hands. Blocking out on the free throw line, making your free throws, making the right reads. It doesn't matter who you play. It's what you do as a team and how locked in you are, how focused you are. Because you start, well, we've beaten them all these times. Can we beat them again? Well, the other guys might be saying, hell, we haven't beat them. Um, so you can go back and forth and play each side of the coin if you want to on that one. But I try to control what we control. We control how well we defend. We can control how well we rebound. We can control if we're going to, you know, block out right. We control if we're going to make free throws. And it doesn't matter, and I say that, sure, matchups are real important. Some teams you match up a little better than other teams. But at the end of the day, it's fundamentals. And so, you know, yesterday I'm yelling at a pass with two hands, catch with two hands, block out, this, that, whatever. It's all fundamentals finish around the basket. You know, we did a lot of shooting yesterday on alumni all. Um, so that's how I've approached it. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember in my history, if I've ever played the team that many times before the season, 
But my, I don't care. I don't care who we play. I don't care where we play him. Like we play Loyola home, great. We play him at Loyola, great. We play him in a parking lot, great. We just got to go play. We just got to go do what we do. And um, and I heard Ward a little bit, and and uh, you, you know, this is a different year. And I, I've told our kids from last spring, and I knew it was going to be different through Zoom calls and over the course of the summer into the fall that this was going to be a different year. This was going to be a different year. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's just going to be different. And the teams that embrace different, the teams can handle that, or the teams are going to be successful. And I've got to tout my team. They've embraced everything. We've had things that happened to us. We've had, you know, different scenarios throughout the year, and they've embraced it and they moved on and we don't dwell on it. You know, I, I said to him, you want to dwell on where pregame meal is or what we're having and you're eating out of a cardboard container on a bus on the way to the game? Who cares? Who cares? When they toss the ball up, you got you to gotta defend, you got to rebound, you got to take care of the ball and get shots on the rim and do the fundamental things. No one cares where you ate your pregame meal. No, no one cares you drove up here the day of the game. There's a winner and there's a loser. It doesn't say a little – you know, a little side note. Well, they had to travel on the day of the game to Bucknell or all the way to Lehigh or whatever. No one cares. Ernie Nestor, my former assistant, used to say all the time, Coach, uh, 50% of the people don't care about your problems. The other 50, you're glad you have them. <laughs> and, uh, and so and that's sort of the, kind of the attitude that we've taken, John. Like, it's just, it is what it is. Embrace it. Do what we do. Be who we are. Everybody else is taken. And, and move on. Ward, go ahead. Well, I mean, Coach just addressed what was going to be my question. Uh, and I think just for the audience, put that under the header of leadership. I love it. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing it in the body language of the team, including going through the sort of pregame wave to the crowd. I don't see any like, oh, my God, this sucks because there aren't people in the stands. I think they have very much internalized your message. And I think that message has underwritten the success of the team. So. I, I love it, Coach. Right on. And these, well, what you're doing here is making guys who are going to be fantastic Navy Marine Corps officers as a function of what your standing orders have been. Uh, so that that's right on. Yeah, we, we have a thing. And let me just throw this out too. We we have a we have a saying here, not a saying. It's my mantra. It's it's our pillars. And Bill knows this. Our pillars on a basketball court are defend, rebound, take care of the ball. If you do those three things, if you're a really good defensive team, if you rebound the ball, you don't give people second shots, and you take care of it, you don't throw it away, you're going to get more possessions than your opponents. If you get more possessions, you got a better chance to win it. The other thing we, we talk about here constantly is stand tall, T-A-L-L. And that's our mantra, T-A-L-L, stand tall. The first T is for toughness, mental, mental and physical toughness. You got to have it to be successful in college athletics. You got to have it probably to do anything well in life, whether you're a corporation or, or a radio, TV, a TV host, or what we're doing here. You got to have some toughness to you. And so that's the T mental and physical toughness. The A in tall is for accountability. We're all accountable. We're all accountable for our decisions, our actions on and off the court. And we have to hold each other accountable. And the first L is loyalty, loyalty to each other and trust to each other. You know, I've always thought about, I said to the guys a hundred times, I got to trust you and you got to trust me. And so we got to have loyalty to each other. That's the first L. The last L is 
the most important thing, I think, is larger purpose, as I call it. What is your larger purpose? Why are we doing what we do? Why do you want to win? Why do you want to win a Patriot League championship? And so I had each kid in the offseason, they wrote a, they had to write me a, a, a paper, you know, a, a, a several paragraph. What is your larger purpose? Why do you want to win? What drives you? What motivates you every day? You know, why are you who you are? Why are you competitive? And so that's our talk, T-A-L-L, toughness, accountability, loyalty to one another, and larger purpose. And Ward, I, I beat it into them. I mean, I just beat it into them. And everything we, we send out, everything we write, every meeting, it's tall. Stand tall. And so I think that helps our guys as a rallying point. Because there'll, there'll be timeouts that I'll come over and I'll go, tall, man, stand tall. Let's go. Let's go. Um, it's not going right right now. we got to have some mental toughness, the first tee. And so I think kids need that. I think we all need it, really. We got to all reflect back and, and kind of come back to our roots and our and our focus, if you would. And as we reported last game, uh, you, you weren't physically present. And uh, what we saw with respect to instilling leadership, and Wags and I noted this, is you know they'd take a pause, they'd circle up at either the foul line or mid court, and kind of you know okay, let's settle down fundamentals. You know I didn't hear exactly what they were saying, but the team themselves sort of got their act together. And you could see immediately following that, they were back to the fundamental execution. And so, uh, obviously, they've internalized uh, the lesson. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's also encouraging. Well, I think the, to date, I think the answer is yes. Now, yeah. obviously, I hope going forward that they continue to do that. Sure. Uh, but certainly, I, I, what I'm seeing, again, zero flinching, zero, like, asterisks on their attitude towards this season as a function of the way you've postured it, the way you you framed it. And I think that's laudable because I think WAGS did sort of push back on what I was saying and focus it on the team. And it is a shame, but, you know, you it is what you got, right? This is this is the hand you've been dealt. And so let's yeah, right. thrive against this. This Not I think you said it perfectly. You know, the teams that can can accept this situation are the ones who are going to. And I think in some ways you could say the early football season was a function of of kind of flinching against that reality. Um, and maybe the entire season was defined that way in some ways. But uh, I think what we've seen with the success with the basketball team is you're like, hey, you know, suck it up, buttercup. This is what we got. Let's win in this atmosphere. Uh, and so I, I, I love it. And I, I look forward to a future success starting on Saturday. Wags over to you. Well, I'll just real quick jump in and say that uh, all, a lot of what Ed was just referring to is going to be in an article that will po be posted this morning. I spoke to Ed. I spoke to assistant coaches John Perry, Emmett Davis. I spoke to Greg Summers, Alec Lair about why has this team been so successful? Why has this team reached its goals, especially amid a pandemic? And it all comes down to intangibles. And you know, the article will go into a little deeper dive and talk about some of the things Navy basketball did in the summer, team building. I mean, no basketball coach had hands on players throughout the summer because they were home, but Navy made sure that they engaged their players and did interactive stuff. And I think it is uh, proved very, very valuable. Ed, you want to just quickly comment on that before I get into maybe breaking down the Loyola game real quick? Yeah, well, Bill. Yeah, you know, I, you know, we're sitting. You know, I'm not. I can't sit around. So I, I had. We had to figure. And my staff, John Perry and Emmett and Adam and and uh, Drew Gibson, we all talked about. Okay, how do we stay engaged 
with this team. And so we had weekly calls, not weekly, but we had daily calls with the guys. We made a call list. And so each coach took four or five guys and had to call them that day. And then we rotated, you know, we rotated players to try to continue to foster the relationships and so forth and, and really try to hear them to make sure they were okay. This was all different for all of us. And they were home and that was different. And we were on pause here at the school. And so, you know, they were trying to do their academic work and did they need academic help? And, and so I thought that was important. It was an opportunity for us to do team building scenarios and have guest speakers, you know, to come in and talk about, you know, their their uh, perception of things. And, and I had the opportunity to talk to some of these guest speakers before and say, look, here's the mantra I'm trying to to talk about with our with our squad. Um, the Stockdale Center here, General General Whistler has been helpful to us, uh, talking to our team on multiple multiple times. Uh, we have another guest speaker on Friday talking to the team, and so the engagement I thought was really important. What the heck else were we going to do? We're basketball coaches. We work our guys out. That's what we do, and we couldn't work them out. So it was like therapy for us as as coaches, like fellas, we got, we got to do stuff. I mean, we, we got to do stuff. Like, I don't know what to start. Like, I didn't know what zoom was this time last year. I had no idea. Now I can zoom with you wags. I wouldn't have had any idea how to do that, you know, a year ago. Um, so we learned and, um, you know, and to be quite honest with you, I read an article about from Nick Saban about how Alabama was going to approach the football season. And, you know, the things that, that I, I kind of learned through the article was there aren't any excuses. We are who we, we're going to do what we're, we're going to do what we do. And we're going to, we're going to try to, you know, run camp the way we run it. And some of it's going to be online and some of it's going to be watching film with our players. John Perry and Drew broke down and Emma, Emma broke down the defenses. John Perry broke down the offenses along with Drew Gibson. We watched Zoom tape with the kids. You know, we, we had them on online. Hey, this is our offense this year. This is we did well. This is, you know, this is our Sparty set. We didn't run this as well as we need to. Here's why. The kids embraced it. I mean, they just were, you know, they were great, you know. And, and so we tried to do as much as we could through this media, through this new stuff called Zoom and Google Meets and all this kind of stuff to, to kind of be engaged. I didn't know what else to do, Wags. I mean, I, that's all I do is work guys out, right? I'm you know, I was going through withdrawal because I weren't around our players. Uh, my wife was tired of me and I, you know, and I was probably tired of her at the time. And um, so I'd go upstairs and or down in my basement and we would Google, we would talk, we would meet as a staff. And there was a collective audience. There was no interruptions because no one was around. Um, so looking back on it, it might have been a good thing for all of us. It might have been good for us to take a step back. Re recalibrate, refocus, and to what was important. And what was important to me is relationships um, and the constant interaction with our players. So last for me, before I throw it back to John to close us out, um, Pete Meadows tweeted out on Sunday evening when we realized what all the seeds were and it looked like Loyola was nine and was going to go play against uh, Holy Cross number eight. He said, man, Loyola might be the most dangerous nine seed in a conference tournament in the country. And so, you know, they, they're talented. I mean, sure, that, they are talented. 
early in the season. You played him, and uh, I told Ward, I said, man, this is Santi Aldama. He's a all-league guy. I said, you know, this guy could be playing professional basketball overseas for a long time, making some money. He's he's tall. He's got range. He can and, – and he played terrible. He didn't do much. And Ward's like, are you kidding me? This is our the guy? And then, you know, Aldama picked it up. Uh, toward the end of the season, I think he probably averaged about 25 a game over the last – five, six games, and they, they got some other guys. I mean, yeah, just talk yeah. about this loyal team. They're dangerous. Oh, yeah, they're good. They're talented. He, he was, he's 25 and 12. He was a player, player of the week the last three weeks. We finally got uh, John Carter last week as player of the week. We hadn't had one since 2018, Sean Anderson. And uh, and so when this guy was player of the week three straight weeks. So they got him who's a tough matchup because our fours are Tyler and, and – uh, Tyler Nelson and Jalen Walker, who are 6'5", 6'6", and he's 6'9", 7 foot. They got an inside threat in DK, uh, who can score on the box. They got good athletic perimeter guys in Jalen Andrews and, and Isaiah Hart. They got a good speed guard in Isaiah Hart. And they bring Spencer uh, off the bench now, or he started the other day. You know, he's been injured all year, and so he's a very good player. So they bring another piece to the puzzle. Yeah, I think they're very talented. Uh, I think they're very talented. They got good players. And, uh, you know, I don't disagree with Pete. As a ninth seed, um, you know, a week ago, they weren't even supposed to be in the tournament. We we're only taking eight teams at a tournament. And all of a sudden, now we're, we take all 10. So they went from being out to being uh, coming into our place on Saturday, not even had to play a game and didn't have to travel. So there's not a whole lot of. Uh, you know, they didn't have to travel to Holy Cross and play and have win and and then, you know, get in a plane Thursday and come back here and then have a day to prep to prep us. So it's uh it's an even Steven game. It'll be a hard fought game like all of them have, but that's the conference tournament. That's just the way it rolls. So coach, as I take us out, um kind of an X's and O's question and and perfectly cool if you can't uh, answer this. What do you think your team will look like on Saturday here as we record this? It's Thursday. The game is is just around the corner. Do you think you'll have Cam? Do you think you'll have your, your full complement of players? Yeah. So I won't, answer, I won't answer the last question just so because I need to have our opponents kind of wonder who is playing for us. Okay. So no disrespect, but. I no, no, no. To, no, I, I figured I, that it was, I, that it was kind of a to tough to one to answer. That way. Um, yep. You know, how we'll play, I, I, you know, I hope we play the way we, we have played. Um, you know, we, we, went, we had a normal week this week. You know, we always take off on Monday. We have a light day Tuesday. We had a good practice on Wednesday. Yesterday, we were an alumni. We're back in alumni. Well, you know, Thursday will be another hitting day. I followed, you know, I really have talked to Kenny a lot. I followed Kenny's weekly because they, they play on Saturdays, right? And so... Now we're playing again on Saturday. So we, we take off Monday, recovery day. Tuesday we came in, we watched film, we shot. Uh, Wednesday we hit. Thursday we hit. Friday we, we, you know, we back off and we do a lot of walkthrough, a lot of dummy, a lot of shooting. And then oh, we, 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 we toss it up on Saturday at noon and, and be ready to play. So our guys will be excited to play. They'll be ready to go. Now whether we, as I always say to them, John, it's different. We're always going to play hard. When you play hard and well, then you then you got something. So we're we're trying to play hard and well. Um, but I don't 
you know, I'm a little different. Like, so I don't, I don't say to them, Hey, we got to win this game. I never say that to the guys. Really? I say, here are the things we got to do if you want to be successful today. And it always comes back to who we are and our roots as a program and what we stand for. When we do those things, we, we, we've won games. When we have a better field goal percentage defense, our opponents, we won. When we out-rebound our opponents, we win. When we have less turnovers than our opponents, we win. So those are the things that I coach towards rather than putting pressure on kids saying, oh, we got to win this game. This is the this, this, that, whatever. I mean, it's they don't need any more pressure. They they, they put internal pressure on themselves, and uh, and and you know, and mom and dad and aunt and uncle and grandmother and grandfather go. Oh, I hope you win. I mean, you got we got to win. You know, they don't mean to. It's just it's just human nature, right? So I try to take the other aspect of it, and that's control. That's control the things we control, so we can be successful. And then last question from me, coach. It, it was. Exactly a year ago, I took my 12-year-old to uh, down to D.C. to watch Villanova beat Georgetown. Um, it was incredibly exciting, but it was the last basketball game that I ever that I saw until um, Navy kicked off the season uh, this past November. As a fan, you know, here's the Big Ten today coming out and saying 8,000 fans can be at the Big Ten tournament. I was watching the Villanova game last night, and Gus Johnson is hubbing the, you know, the Big East tournament in America's greatest arena at Madison Square Garden. From your perspective as a fan, how big is it that that March Madness is back? How big is it, you know, on a personal level that that this very important part of, of the game that you have been a part of almost your entire life is back with this kind of sense of normalcy? Well, I think it is neat. I, I you know, I, I think uh, I've heard the, uh, when you guys were talking earlier, it's, uh, you know, I watch a lot of games because I just love the game. It's not the same. I mean, I watch it a little differently than some folks, but I can tell you from a coach, it's a heck of a lot easier playing on the road when there's nobody in there. It's a heck of a lot easier. You know, the crowd noise is not there. The momentum, the energy is not there. And it, it's, it is kind of neutral. I, I'll, I don't know, but somebody will do a study on teams that won on the road this year. I'll bet you the road winners were – were a lot more in the, in the past. And I'll, I'll look at that in the offseason when I got some time. But I'll bet a lot more road teams won this year than ever before. And it's because of the energy. It's because of the fans or lack of. So to have fans back in the building, to have fans in the NCAA tournament games, I think is just tremendous. You know, the fans are – it's all part of college basketball. It's part of college football, the pageantry, the energy, the emotion. It's all part of it. And, um, and so, yeah, do we miss it? Sure. We miss it. Um, but I'm glad it's back. I'm glad they're going to let some folks in and stay safe and wear a mask and do all the things that we can do. And, and, uh, and hopefully we have a March madness. that's exciting. And, and, uh, we can, we can enjoy college basketball once again. Yes, sir. Well, uh, I know that Wags and Ward and I are looking forward to uh, noon on Saturday there in Alumni Hall uh, to be a part of the coverage and uh, watch you take on Loyola for the fifth time. So, Coach, thank you so much right. for making time during a very busy week to join us and good luck on Saturday. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You guys, stay safe. All right. Thank you so much to Coach Ed DeCellis for joining us and giving us his perspective on uh, what we should expect to see on Saturday and beyond. Awesome conversation. And as Ward always says, like awesome perspective 
um, just everyone having exposure, particularly the basketball team to Ed's leadership is, is special. So thank you so much to him for making time during a very busy week. We're going to head to break. And when we come back, it's going to be our alumni segment where we talk to two of the top 10 scorers in all-time Naval Academy basketball history, Chris Harris and Mike Keery. So stick with us. We're going to go to break. This is Sing Second Sports. The Sing Second Sports podcast is sponsored by Mills Fine Wine and Spirits and Academy Consulting. Thanks to both for all of their support. If you're interested in sponsoring Sing Second Sports, drop us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second on Twitter. Now back to the pod. All right. Hey, we're back. Um, as this is the Patriot League tournament preview show, we are very, very happy to be joined by two of the iconic names in Naval Academy basketball history. Uh, Chris Harris, uh, class of 2010, and Mike Heary, a return visitor to the pod and voice of Navy basketball alongside of Pete Medhurst, class of 1998. They both sit in the top 10 of all-time Navy uh, scoring. Uh, Chris Harris at number five on the list with 1,635 points. Heary, just a tiny bit behind him with 1,590 points. Mike will tell you that he's not higher up on that list because he was so busy being a shutdown Chauncey Billups-like defender in the Patriot League. But hey, so happy to have both of you joining the podcast for our uh, preview show of the Patriot League tournament, the tournament where Navy has the number one seed. So I'll kick it right to you, Chris Harris. Navy having the number one seed when you played yeah, where were you tournament-wise with the Patriot League? Did you ever have the number one seed? How close did you come to cutting down the nets? Because I know Mike is going to remind you that you never cut down the nets and went to the uh, NCAA tournament. So so what is your recollection of how close you came to going to the big dance from your time at Navy? Yeah, that's a tough start. Uh, glad glad <laughs> to be a part of this. Thanks for having me. Um, and always good to go back and forth with Mike Heary. Um you know, it's so funny because um, one of the toughest losses we ever had, uh, we were playing for a regular season title my sophomore year up at Colgate. Um, and uh, and we lost that game. And we, I mean, it was one of the worst games we had played all year. Uh, and so, I mean, we were literally playing for the number one seed at that time and um, had a great team. Thought we had a great shot. And then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> never won a first round game in the Patriot League tournament. And, uh, you know, specifically, I think that year uh, with the two seed, we played a number seven seed Bucknell, which was a little bit flip flop because Bucknell was so good in previous years. Um, and they hit a, a three quarters of the link uh, court shot, John Griffin, uh, who now is Billy Lang's assistant up at St. Joe's, which is just a funny uh, funny situation, but, um, unbelievable three overtimes at the buzzer, three quarters of length court, tough, tough way to go out, uh, in both of those back-to-back games. But I mean, we had a, I felt like we had a really good shot of, of, of winning it that year. So it was an unfortunate end to an otherwise awesome year. So Mike, from your perspective as the, um, as the color guy, you've been to a bunch of games this year, although this year has been unlike any other year as you and I have talked a bunch about before, what has impressed you about this team and the run that they're on, albeit only playing a, a finite number of teams in the pod, but is there anything reminiscent with this team 
from your teams in 97 and 98 that went to the NCAA tournament, or is it kind of apples and oranges, different dynamics, different players? But it, yeah, John, it's a little bit different in the sense that I think this current team probably has more depth from their number one guy, Cam Davis, to like their ninth or tenth guy. They, they, they arguably have more depth than our teams had. They may not have as many you know, like kind of closer finishers. Like, you know, at the end of a game, it's they're pretty reliant on Cam, although they've been getting good production from Greg Summers recently, and John Carter's kind of found his niche off the bench in this new role. So it's a it's a little bit different dynamic. I think the thing I'm most impressed with this team is they seem to find a way to, you know, gut out a victory in any game. They're, they might be down in the second half or you know, not playing their best basketball, they find a way to win. And, and the teams that end up winning championships kind of have, you know, that toughness. Uh, and I think, again, the depth, different guys stepping up on different nights, uh, the bench production this year, I think they average over 20 points per game in bench production for the season as a, as a unit. So uh, I think all those things are good things going into the conference tournament. So before I kick it over to Wags for the real journalism questions, um, I'll ask each of you, you know, from, from your perspective, obviously the best, the best case scenario here, you're hosting the Patriot League tournament all the way through. You're the number one seed. Um, but there is the, there, there are some issues there in that, and these are first world problems, I know. But number one, you're going to have to start off by playing a Loyola team for the fifth time in a single year, which... I haven't gone deep into the NCAA archives, but I think that's got to be a record for how many times a team has played another team in a year in an NCAA season. Um, is it the fact that you've got to try to beat a team for the fifth time in a year or the prospect of going all the way to the title game and seeing a Colgate team that you haven't seen once? Mike, I'll start with you uh, since you and I have been talking about this off, uh, off air. And then, Chris, I'll, I'll kick it to you afterwards. Yeah, John, I think um, it's always tough to beat a team multiple times. I, you know, Navy, as an athletic department, you know, you could parallel this, not the same rivalry, obviously, but the run that Navy football had against Army 14 years in a row. Everyone was saying during that run, well, you know, eventually they're going to have to lose, right? Like, it's going to happen at some point. But every year that we got to that game, we said, well, we don't want this year to be the year that they lose. So it's a, it's a dynamic where I think, you know, it, it, it very well could be a really good matchup for Navy and a bad matchup for Loyola. The other factor this year to think about with these teams, particularly a team like Loyola, is with the pandemic and all that's been going on this year, how much do they really want to win when winning time approaches? What I, what I mean by that is if they lose, they can go back to regular life. No more, no more COVID tests, no more... Um, you know, some semblance of regular college life or, or see their friends or they, these teams have made a huge commitment to play this year. And when you haven't had a successful season, the psyche of, you know, do you really want to continue this season or not can come can come into play mentally, um, you know, in the in the under 10 minutes of the second half when you're down by 10 points. You want to make that run or are you like, you know what, this is 10 minutes away from me going back to some semblance of normal. So that's another factor this year. Chris? Yeah, I mean, back to your point, John, like 
beating a team five times is, is a really just daunting kind of reality. I mean, it's just the way that it's broken out this year. I, I remember we used to say, cause you usually see a, a conference team twice in one year. It's hard to beat a team three times. Um, so five times is another level. It's kind of where we're at. Um, but I mean, the whole draw is kind of difficult any way you cut it because, you know, they've seen Loyola four times. They'd, they'd have to beat them for a fifth time. I think same with American, right? It would be a, it would be a fifth victory. So that's tough. And then the other, the other reality would be facing army, which is one of your losses and a rival game in the semifinal. So then you got Colgate potentially waiting at the end. So I would say uh, if, when maybe does get to the NCAA tournament, for the first time in a long time, uh, they'll certainly have earned it. Wags, go ahead. All right, boys, we're going to have some fun here because I've got the record book in front of me. <laughs> um, so we will, first of all, say that Michael Heary and Chris Harris are two of the finest three-point shooters that, in the history of Navy basketball. There is no question about that. They could both stroke it from deep. But I've got the record book here. Three-point field goals made. The Navy's all-time record holder for career field goals made, Chris Harris, 239. Mike Heary, fourth, 201. All right. Then we go to the free, the three-point field goals attempted. Wow. <laughs> Harris is up there, too. Uh, number one, 781 three-point field goals attempted. Did you say, did you ever shoot a layup? A mid, you heard of a mid-range all right, and then here he's fourth. Look, they're they're stroking one and four, but here's the real teller. Three-point field goal percentage <laughs> shooting. Wow, we got to go down a little farther. Harris, seventh. Oh, where's here? Here, not in the top 15. What is going on here, fellas? Here, I'll let you start first. Defend yourself. All right, first and foremost, I think, Everyone knows I played for a coach that had a little bit different philosophy than the one that Chris Harris played for. I'll just leave it at that. Actually, I'll give you another scenario. When Davidson showed up for the Veterans Classic last year, and I got to see the coach that recruited me, Bob McKillop, and he said to me, how many points did you score in your career at Navy? And I told him, and he goes, you would have had over 2,500 if you came and played for me. So... I think it's important to, to note the coaching staff and philosophies play a big role in Chris Harris's numbers. Number two, <laughs> I joke with I joke with I joke with Chris a lot, but I have a ton of respect for him because he, you know, he wasn't like a five-star recruit coming out of high school and he had a tremendous career as a tremendous shooter. I would argue that I was more of a scorer than a shooter in the, in the sense of Chris Harris. I got to the foul line probably free throw attempts on your uh, thing there, Wags, but I probably got to the foul line a little more than Chris. And because of my size, probably got into the lane and was more of a scorer than Chris was a shooter. I rest my case. All right, hold on. Before Chris defends himself, I've got the free throws attempted. Perfect, Wags. Uh, Harry ranks ninth all time with 499 free throws attempted. But Chris Harris is on here. He is 13 with 428. So I, I don't know. Harry, he, he did get to the line somehow. 
then I'll go back to my philosophy. Offensive philosophy is very different under Chris Harris's uh, coaching staff versus Don DeVoe. Did did we pull the percentages on those flags <laughs> on the free, on the free throw? throw? Oh, 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 I think I think here is like Mark Price from the free throw line, okay. right? Like, hold on, no, Chris Harris ranks second all time career free throw percentage, eighty four percent. Here he is, not far behind, eighty three percent. He's fourth. Uh, Greg Sprinks in between them. Um, another. So my other comment to that would be: I think I played in a more physical era. So my body took a toll every time that I got hit. And Chris Harris was in the world of uh, personal cylinder foul calls that are now in college basketball today. So I'm going to go with personal cylinder over me having to bang every day against the son Booker in practice and all that other stuff. Wow. I thought so, maybe you were guarding Skip Victor in practice. And they're, they're not putting you on no book. Chance. No chance. I mean, look, guys, a lot of excuses. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of lot of um, interesting points, I would say. Um, you know, and here he's right. I wasn't a five-star recruit. He was, you know, highly touted upstate New York guy, uh, guy in his hometown county's Hall of Fame. A simple Google search will yield an article about a sixty-two-point explosion in nineteen ninety-three against what, what he called a great high school basketball team. All his Navy teammates said were, were maybe a cupcake. Um, but nonetheless, hey, look, um, the, the biggest point I would make um, is that I don't know who was tracking this or not historically, but my sophomore year at Navy, they moved the arc back about a foot. So sometimes I can't help but, you know, wonder what history would have recorded had the line been up all the way up where it was in Heary's day. So um, those are my (laughs) – what's that, Bill? Well, it's funny you should mention that because I've been working on this story about the 85-86 Navy team that's celebrating its 35th anniversary. And yesterday I had an hour-long discussion with Kyler Whitaker, another famous stroker of jump shooter for Navy, and – Everyone has always Kyler Whitaker. The three-point line was introduced the year after he graduated. And if Kyler Whitaker had the three-point line, he probably would be on these records. But I asked him about that, and he said, you know, it might have been a good thing because if they'd had a three-point line, I would have come down on a fast break and pulled up from three every time instead of dry taking the ball to the basket for a layup and – I probably wouldn't have been on the bench because Paul Evans would have been like, what in the hell are you doing? Yeah. So uh, he, it's funny that Kyler Whitaker actually thinks it might have been a good thing they didn't have a three-point line. What do you guys think of that? I, I, and Kyler Whitaker also had a top 50 player of all time he was playing with, too. So if you don't throw the ball in the post when you got David Robinson and you're just jacking threes, you're in trouble with Coach Evans coaching you, I would imagine. So, But, you know, actually, if they had that three-point line, he would have been tremendous because think about it. They're double teaming David Robinson or Vernon Butler and they're kicking it out. He would be getting a lot of wide open looks, which I'm always jealous of those teams even today that have like, you know, great big men. And it's like they spot up these spot up shooters get wide open looks, even at the NBA level. It's, it's, it's awesome. Well, and to be fair, uh, Mike, that was, that was me sophomore year. Right. Because I had Sprint and Kena and I, you know, I, I hadn't, you know, 
broken out at all freshman year. And then sophomore year, I played point and I was, I would just found myself wide open on numerous yeah. occasions. So yeah. that's a great point. Whitaker said that, you know, it was beaten into his head. Option one, David. Option two, Vernon. Option three, Kyler. And because I asked, he scored 27 against Richmond in the game that clinched the CAA championship. But in the first game, he didn't even take a single shot in the second half. And Navy lost to Richmond. And and he said, he kept telling me, get it inside, get it inside. He said, all right, I won't shoot it. Uh, but in the second game, Evans realized, oh, they're double teaming David and Vernon. Maybe Kyler should shoot it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he also has the best hair in Navy basketball history as of today. <laughs> That's high praise coming from you, Michael. Well, high no, praise. Kyler has more flow to his hair. I have a little matted down hair gel look. Kyler is by far the number one best hair of Navy basketball uh, former players. Ward, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying the, the discussion here. I, I, I'm not a value add, so just ignore me. So from, from my perspective, um, you know, and, and uh, Chris just brought it up, you know, that, you know, for your sophomore year, you had Sprink and Kaleo, you know, two guys, you know, Sprink's number three on the all-time scoring list. Kaleo Kina is number eight. You know, uh, Chris, you also played um, a little bit with Jordan Sugars. Um, you know, Mike, same thing. You had, you know, Skip, uh, Book, uh, Dollar Bill, um, Jeremy Toten. What can you guys say about your supporting cast, not only from the execution standpoint on the, on the court, but what it was like having them as kind of like the brotherhood to steal from Navy football? You know, what, what, what has that meant to you going forward from the Naval Academy? What have those bonds meant to you as you've formed your values as a successful business person, as a successful father, as a successful person altogether. It, it's kind of the, the, the thought process of just getting into sports as a kid and playing all the way through. But like D1 college basketball is just another level of that. And, you know, you're in battle with those guys every day and it's like family, you know, I mean, I still talk to coach Lang up at St. Joe's, you know, we're going back and forth because they've won four straight in March now. And it's just really cool to see because, a team comes together like that at the end of the year. And, uh, and this is the time to be playing well. Right. And you can tell it's because they're passionate and they're playing hard. And I, I felt like we always had that, you know, scrappiness. And I mean, here he's right. Like we, we were running gun, like high speed. That's why, you know, three of us are in the top 10 or whatever, but like, um, yeah, you can't replace that camaraderie brotherhood, um, you know, as I've, as I've kind of progressed through life, I, I always think back to not only those lessons on the court, but, but also post, you know, in, in, in real life Navy uh, and being a divo and you kind of have those same bonds. It's a military, it's a really cool mix of military plus sports. And I mean, those, those relationships just last forever. And they, and they're always things that you'll think of fondly. I mean, I will say like, I do wish, we had had the championship run like Mike, because I see those guys get back together and, and it's just like, they can celebrate like a tangible thing that they can put their hands on and they got the ring and they had the experience playing against North Carolina and NCAA tournament. And uh, I always look at that and we definitely have like a tight group and and we all stay in touch 
Um, but I, I look at that group and they're just so tight knit, uh, because of like how far they ended up getting. Right. Um, and that changes things. Um, it, but nonetheless, like we, we had some really, uh, solid years there too. Yeah. Chris, those are great points. It made me think a little bit about our, our teams. Um, you know, we just, as a, as a group collectively, um, you know, Johnny used the word supporting cast, but in reality, like what made us such a successful team was everyone understood their roles really well. And like, they were first team all league at their role. Like, and, I, and you don't, you can't get, you don't get awards for being first team all league for whatever role, you know, Matt Slackey played on our team or Mike Palumbo played on our team, but literally they were the very best in my opinion. Um, at what they did to allow us to be a successful team. And, you know, the stats are the stats, you know, everyone just had a certain type of a role and a certain skill set. So that's one thing. The second thing is I've, I've said this before, and it's not to diminish anything that you do in your personal life or your professional life, but for us and for our team, there is nothing I will do in my life that I, that will replicate the feeling we felt winning championships and playing in that program there will be nothing like literally how do you replicate running onto the floor for practice the day before your game against utah in the ncaa tournament with ten thousand fans in an arena watching you practice for an hour or play north carolina when you go to the tip and it's vince carter Antoine jameson and brandon haywood as a freshman like you're never going to you're never going to be able to replicate that in any other part of your life. So to me, that lasting, you know, image and that lasting feeling you get from those experiences are just tremendous and it's it's what makes, you know, the decisions we make to go to the Naval Academy just such a great decision. Obviously, the Naval Academy does a lot of other things that are tremendous for you, but this that this experience alone and, and being a part of that group was un, unlike anything I, I could have ever dreamed. So before I kick it over to Wags to start us to close this down, I mean, it, it, you couldn't replicate it there at the 19th hole at the Naval Academy golf course <laughs> after winning the club championship. I mean, <laughs> there were, there were three of us and, you know, I think some of the adult, the adult beverages allowed us to replicate it a little bit, but fortunately it wasn't the same, uh, but it was still a great moment, John, believe me. <laughs> So I'm going to ask you both to put on your analyst hats. You know, that's what this team kind of reminds me of is people who know their roles. You know, Wags and I go back and forth about Austin Inge being that Vinnie Johnson microwave type of type of Kickstarter uh, when you need it, when when Carter Jr. isn't shooting well or when um, Cam is on the bench. You, you've got Deaver who knows his role, particularly post Luke Lair injury. You've got. Uh, Patrick Dorsey, who at times reminds me of someone who can own a game, but then he's just going to play a role very unselfishly. I'll start with you, Chris Harris. What is it about this team and the roles that everyone has fallen into that has led to this very impressive record and this very impressive run? They just have the right mix of seasoned talent and leadership with good young energy, like contributing now. I mean, young guys contributing now. And it's like across the board, like Siri said, the depth is unbelievable. And they, they just know how to play and they know how to play to their strengths. And I, I mean, I've loved every bit of why I wish we could watch, you know, another two months of this team because 
obviously coach D and the staff have, have gotten them to a place where they believe in it. They're passionate. And I, I mean, I think they can do it. They've got great basketball IQ. They're scrappy and hungry. And, uh, and it's just really cool to watch. John, they absolutely have, um, what it takes to win it. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. I, I would like nothing more than to see this team. It gets one game at a time, obviously. And it's, it's, it's one possession at a time, but I'd love to see them have a chance to play Colgate. I, I think that would be tremendous. Um, I think that, uh, you know, but they have what it takes. And, and one of the things that's very underrated about this team is like Daniel Deaver and Richard Njoku are sophomores. And you think about their progress from when they were freshmen to this year. It's incredible. I mean, I mean, it's really incredible. So like, They've got guys in their team that are coming back next year. I mean, really the main loss is Cam Davis. And not that you're looking ahead, but they got the pieces to continue to do well. But this year's group seems to have something special. I think it's important on Saturday that they get off to a good start because I really believe that if they get off to a good start, they could put Loyola into the mode of, like I said earlier, thinking about, you know, shutting this season down and moving on. And uh, I think that's important because they have – celebrated a, a number one seed in a way that, you know, makes everyone in the league realize like, look, we're the number one seed. Well, now you got to show up on Saturday and play like it. And I think you got to do that right away, not making Loyola think they have a chance to win the game. Wags, anything before we take it out? Well, yeah, let's go back to the record book one last time before we depart. Um, let's to look at some of the intangibles, assists. Uh, top 15 assists. I'm looking, I don't see Michael Heary on here. Um, although he deserves credit for the fact that Brian Walker ranks second all time in Navy career assists with 531. Um, Chris Harris remain amazingly is on this list at number 14 with 258 career assists. Um, here's what happens when you play with the top two all time leading scores in Navy history. Doug Wojcik ranks number one with 714, and the aforementioned Kyler Whitaker is number five. So that's what happens when you play with Vernon Butler and David Robinson. And then before I give you guys a chance to retort, let's go to one other kind of key statistic in my view, uh, steals, uh, playing some defense. Remarkably, Harris ranks fifth all-time in career steals, here he is not on here. Uh, he may not have had the quick hands. But here's where here he gets a, a little bit of a nod. Turnovers. Harris is up there at number 10 with 255 career turnovers. And here he, you're, you're only 14, 243 career turnovers. Uh, neither of you are on the assist to turnover ratio, which means you didn't have more assists than turnovers. Rebuttals on those. Yeah, so you need to check your stats, Wag. So when I graduated from the academy, I was 10th all-time in assists with 250, so which that means I have a positive assist-to-turnover ratio. And look, I know, Wags, you love Chris Harris. And, and God rest his soul, if Joe Gross was here, I would have somebody that would be able to refute a lot of what you're saying. So rest in peace to my man, Joe Gross, because I feel like it's two-on-one here. Harris loves to tell me this same stuff. And you being just a Harris lover are just bringing up every stat possible. So 
I'll, oh, and if you want to look up in Google all your articles about different things, my senior year, we had a hard time replacing Brian Walker at point guard. I volunteered after 10 games to play point guard, and we went to another championship. So I could have easily said, nope, I don't want to play point guard. I'd rather average 20 points a game, but I chose a different path. So I rest my case. You know, it's excuse after excuse. And, you know, it's, I, I love the banter. Uh, got a lot of it when Harry started calling games my senior year. Uh, and we got into it, you know, pretty much before and after every, every game. Um, what I would say again on the assist thing, uh, you know, here he's got a good case. Like we, we were running gun. The reason I'm even on that list, I even sniffed that list is because I was playing with Sprink and Kina, um, and, and a couple other like dynamic scores like Jordan sugars. Um, I really don't have a ton of thoughts. I will let history kind of tell the story. And, um, you know, that's where I'll leave it, John. Well, I think uh, if we can get to a post-COVID return to normalcy, um, the, uh, the annual alumni game, which has always been my favorite to, to wonder if Mike was going to tear both hamstrings uh, attempting to play transition defense. Hopefully we can get you guys out there to uh, settle the score. But thank you very much for, for coming out and, and helping us evaluate the upcoming Patriot League tournament. You know, by the way, we always say that the idea of this podcast is to highlight, you know, the great things that the physical mission did for people going forward. It's important to highlight Chris Harris, you know, high up executive. I think you run Navy programs at FireEye, like hard, hard to really throw a stone anywhere near you and not see FireEye in the news with the CEO on 60 Minutes, the discovery of the SolarWinds hack. You know, Chris just doing great things out there in the cybersecurity world and Mike, the same thing. As we talked about when you first came on the pod, you know, incredible successful business uh, with CDS Logistics, continuing to call Navy basketball games as the color guy. Um, and both of you just overall great people. Can't wait to see who wins the battle of the tailgate here in September. I've, you know, I, the, the music is better at our tailgate over on the Mike Heary side, Chris Harris, but I'll have to say the spread when I visited your tailgate last year was was phenomenal. So uh, we'll, we'll have to get that return to normalcy and then let all the streams cross. No doubt. Maybe we, yeah. can, we should combine our tailgates, Chris. That'd be, uh, that'd be beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Great idea. Let's all right. Well, gents, thank you so much for the evaluation and for the stories. And we look forward to having you uh, back on, hopefully to uh, break down the number, number 14 seed Navy versus the number three seed Villanova Wildcats in the first, uh, first round of the NCAA tournament. We're going to head to break. When we come back, we're going to take this thing out. This is Sing Second Sports. The Sing Second Sports podcast is sponsored by Mills Fine Wine and Spirits and Academy Consulting. Thanks to both for all of their support. If you're interested in sponsoring Sing Second Sports, drop us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second on Twitter. Now back to the pod. All right, awesome conversation with uh, Mike Fury, Chris Harris, Ed DeCellis, basketball royalty at the Naval Academy, and obviously, as I said at the beginning, with every other sport on a 10-day hold, this is our focus. And so we will... Uh, we will bring you all the action on Saturday at noon uh, from Alumni Hall, uh, the three-headed uh, monster on this podcast, while Chris goes hopefully high 70s uh, from the golf course in Florida. But as we go out, Ward, 
I'll just, I'll kick it to you. What are you looking at for, for Saturday? Um, obviously we're all hoping for a win, but what's the key to success as you have been at the last couple of Loyola games? Well, before we do that, I just want to say this was a great episode. What a gift. Um, I would follow Ed DeCellis into the gates of hell. Um, you know, he is a straight stick leader and I've followed a few in my life. And so I'm just so warmed by his unflinching, you know, posture. And, and, and so I, I, I love that. And, and then I can listen to Chris and Mike banter all day. That's why I just wanted to get out of the way of that. Uh, so I, I love this episode. And if you're a Navy basketball fan, uh, this is what Sing Seconds, Sing Second is, is all about. So to answer your question, it goes down to what Coach was saying, fundamentals. What we've noted, when things start to go south, they get away from fundamentals. As we've commented, this team has a depth of talent that is the key to success. Yes, hopefully Cam's playing, and the other key sort of planks of, of this team, but we've seen Greg step up, we've seen uh, Patrick step up. You know, we, we know how this team can mix and match for a look, and the only time they falter, and specifically when they falter against Loyola, is when they get away from fundamentals. So if they stick to the fundamentals, they don't lose their heads, I, th I see a, a win for, for Navy on Saturday. Let's hope so. Wags, what are you looking at? Well, everybody's going to talk about playing a team five times and how do you beat a team five times. There's a reason Navy has beaten Loyola four times this season. They're a better team. Uh, they play better together. They have better chemistry. Uh, when it comes winning time, all those games have been closed for the most part. I think there may have been one that was a little bit got away where Navy got away from them. But for the most part, they've been close games. And when it came time to win, Navy got the job done. I feel if Navy plays to its potential, plays its style of basketball, it will win the game. I pray that Cam Davis and Richard and Joko are available to play because that would just be terrible if you've gone through an entire season with a certain cast of characters who have gotten you to where you are, uh, 15 and 2, 14 and, or whatever it is, 12 and 1 in the uh, Patriot League. Um, and you, then you don't have that group uh, for the most important game of tournament time, that would be a damn shame. So I'm crossing my fingers, saying a prayer that Cam Davis and Richard Njoku come out of the contract tracing and are available, ready to play. Navy's at full strength, and I feel if they are, they're going to win this game. I think they're going to win another game. I, I, can't, I think Navy is going to make it to the Patriot League championship game. I don't know what will happen. Colgate's legit. But I do feel confident that this Navy team is good enough to hold up to its seed of number one seed and get to the championship game. Well, I echo your sentiments, gentlemen, and, and I'm mostly looking forward to, uh, to sharing the arena with you on Saturday at noon, um, hopefully for a big win. Um, after I spend a little time with our fourth partner in crime, Chris Cervello, on Friday, which I'm very much looking forward to. But for me, um, yeah, I, I think I think this game scares me, particularly after like the cutting down of the Nets thing. I think other teams in the Patriot League probably looked at that and looked at it with a little bit of motivation that here's Navy cutting down the Nets for a regular season title. They would like nothing more than to come in and really buzzkill that. But I think it's the depth and the character that makes them stand above. And 
And here's hoping that we're, we're watching them uh, get their name called on Selection Sunday on, on March 14th. It would make me so happy, not only as a fan, but as a member of the Sing Second Sports team. So for Ward Carroll, special guest Bill Wagner, and our hardworking producer, Chris Trevello, uh, I am John Schofield. Awesome, awesome episode. We'll see you next week uh, when we get some of the perspective from the mids living out in town and what the dark ages are like with this new level of darkness here. And uh, and yeah, let's go Navy beat Loyola. This is Sing Second Sports. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.